good to see you guys today, and I trust that uh, you are thankful. I know that um, I'm reminded every Veterans Day of just how grateful I am to live in a free country and to have men and women who in the past and present serve our country. And um, I don't think we can thank uh, those people enough. My, both my grandfathers were in World War II, and my father served in the Vietnam War. And so military was uh, close to the hearts of, of my family. And so when I think about my grandfather's service and my father's service, I'm grateful, grateful. And aren't we glad we still live in a free country? Even though the freedoms are being challenged, we'll say it that way. Um, we still were free to get up this morning. Uh, we got an extra hour of sleep. Um, you guys ought to be really raring to go today. Um, but we want to thank all the veterans. I want to take a minute and do that. And I would just ask that if you uh, are a veteran, that you would stand and let us recognize you uh, this morning. Please stand. Thank you very, very much. This morning, um, if you're visiting with us, we're thrilled you're here. It's a different kind of day because it's our church conference. But maybe it's not a typical church conference that you've been a part of before. Um, it's, it's a different kind of church conference, I think, at Grace. It has been over the years where we have an opportunity to give thanks to the Lord for what He's done in different areas of ministry. Uh, we do give a financial report, but... One of the unique uh, facets of grace is we don't pass an offering plate. Um, we have plates out in the foyer. And um, we believe that God's people give. And so I just um, am looking forward to what the Lord is going to do through the service as different ones give report. But I, I do have a challenge for you today because God has given me a theme uh, for the next year, and we're going to start that today. And every message that builds up to, um, or every message that we have between now and the end of the year surrounds that theme, but then leads us to a book study that we're going to do through a book of the Bible. So I trust that um, you've come prepared today uh, to worship the Lord and to thank Him for all the many blessings that we have in knowing Him. And uh, if you don't know him today, uh, I'd love to sit down and talk with you about how you can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So uh, after the service, you seek me out, and I'll be happy to, to talk with you. Um, I'd like to read just two verses of Scripture. So if you take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 3, there are some verses in the Bible you can't read enough especially as it relates to the church. And I think these two verses are absolutely critical to understanding the church and the purpose of the church. Because people, you know, they kind of argue back and forth about that, right? Um, I just don't think there's an argument. I mean, the purpose of the church is simple, and that's to glorify the Lord. And that's in this section. 
You say, well, I thought the purpose of the church was to, to, to evangelize or make disciples. Well, in evangelizing and making disciples, what happens? We glorify the Lord through that. So I want us to stand and be reminded as we read what Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. What it says, Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Now, how many of you would say amen to that? According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever. And ever, amen. It is God's mind that we would bring glory to the Father and to the Son. And we can do that through the lives that we live. Isn't that amazing to think about? That somehow we can bring glory to God. But we can as we are being led by the Spirit of God in our lives. We have such a great advantage as New Testament Christians since the beginning of the church. The Spirit indwells us. He's our helper every single day. And with His help, we can glorify the Lord. And so, that's something that I know for me, I have to ever keep before me. That I exist as a believer in Christ to glorify Him. And so, I trust that's a good reminder for you uh, this morning. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank you so much this morning for just who you are. Thank you for the privilege that we have if we are in Christ. Thank you for the privilege we have in being able to commune with you, to fellowship with you, to just walk with you day by day. Lord, I pray that as we think through all the things you're accomplishing in your church, that we would be grateful people. We could look around and, and think about the events over the last year and a half or so and, and be in fear or question um, so many things. And I pray, Lord, you would help us to rest in you. Help us not to be fearful. Your word declares that you have not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power. Help us to live that way. We have such a great advantage as Christians because we know the rest of the story. And so I pray that we would live that way. And I pray that we would walk beside each other and encourage each other as we live the Christian life to your glory. I pray that today as we think about what you're accomplishing here at Grace, that not only we would be grateful people, but Lord, that we would be challenged in looking at our own lives and asking the question, how are we serving you in your church? And so may you be glorified in all we do. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Where we gather this morning for the cause of Christ, amen?
We're here to worship Him because He is the reason why we're here. And so we want to lift Him up. He is our King, and we bow down before Him. And our, the thing we get out of it eventually is eternal life with Christ. That's pretty good, huh? So that's what we're going to sing about. Let's sing All Hell the Power of Jesus' Name. Let's lift it up.
shout the victory this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to listen to the words of the choir as we sing. Because as we gather here, we gather for the cause of Christ. And there's lots of different things that, are go, that go on to promote the cause of Christ. You know, Christ is worth living for. He's worth dying for. He's worth serving. He's worth bringing other people into the kingdom. And it takes work, and it takes all of us. That's the reason why we're the church, and we gather together for that. But I want you to listen to the words for the cause.
I was just thinking back that uh, Linda and I came to Birmingham in 1982, a long time ago, uh, on the strength of a job. And uh, like most young Christian couples, we were looking for a church home. And uh, we saw this little sign out on Roebuck Parkway. I mean, it was this big. And it, it said, Grace Bible Church. And I thought, well, all right, we'll, uh, we'll give it a try next Sunday. And so we weaved our way through this little residential area hood, and we found this little church. And uh, it seemed well suited for us. We've always liked uh, small congregations. And uh, after a couple of weeks, I started noticing this one guy. Uh, he was, I won't say peculiar, but he was unusual. And the thing that I thought so unusual about him was that he always wore blue jeans. Morning, noon, and night, he always wore blue jeans to church. Well, I'm talking about Dean Self. St stand up, Dean. You and, you and Linda stand up. He is not wearing blue jeans, and he has just made me a liar. <laughs> well, anyway, Dean had just come back from a short-term mission trip to Bolivia. That's one of those two-week things where you go to see what it's like to be a missionary. And he was all fired up about it and talked to the church. And a few weeks went by, and the next thing we heard was that Dean and Linda had decided to become full-time missionaries to Bolivia. And my reaction was, really? Because Dean seemed like an ordinary guy to me. And uh, I was thinking that you had to really be something special to be a missionary. Well, um, <laughs> they did go to Bolivia. And we are now 40 years later, and they are still full-time missionaries. And I guess if there's a message in all of that, it's that ordinary people can do extraordinary things if God is involved in what they're doing. Um, we're going to show a, a film here uh, in just a few in a couple of minutes about uh, the 40 years of Dean and Linda's ministry. And uh, for those of you young people who are looking for a potential career, you might think about what I just said, that God can take ordinary people and make them into something extraordinary if they're doing his will. Dean and Linda will be out in the foyer after the church to, uh, service today. And if you'd like to talk to them, about their experiences on the mission field and what they felt and endured uh, for Christ, thinking that maybe you might want to consider doing the same thing, they would be glad to talk to you. Okay, go ahead and show the film.
Just a country boy from Clay. Now, Linda's a little more sophisticated. She came from Ohio. But we all need a little polish, don't we, Dean? And she polished you up. <laughs> that same happens to me. Thank you, Dean and Linda. I think all of us are moved by that. Ordinary people. Ordinary people is all it takes. Um, i turn my little clicker on here. Today, I'd like to introduce you to a, a special ministry that God has given to us. Uh, it's a ministry to the Salvation Army. Uh, first, we, first off, we're not really affiliated with the Salvation Army in any way, form or fashion. But God has given to us here at Grace the opportunity to, one, share the gospel every other Monday night with 50 to 80 men, sometimes it's even more than that, or has been, who are going through the addiction rehabilitation program. And then two, to encourage them to continue and work through the program since it is evangelistic in its foundations. And three, to demonstrate the love of Christ or be the hands and the feet of Christ to men whose lives have been just decimated by failure and loss because of, uh, because of addictions. Many of these men have no homes. Their families have rejected them. They're considered as outcasts in society, and they harbor feelings of bitterness and unforgiveness. But we have the opportunity to offer them the only true hope for breaking these chains. But one thing that seems to resonate in every one of these men are that they are so appreciative and they're so gracious to us, whether they're believers or not, because we consistently show up demonstrate, demonstrating to them that we care and are willing to give our time to reach out to them with love and compassion. And to be honest with you, the vast majority of, or I, I put down here 80%, I don't know what the percentage is, of the ministry is just that, being there and caring. Well, it all started with uh, Quentin Swafford, many of you know them, a former member of the church, as he was going along with, with other, uh, he was going every other Monday night to teach a Bible study and to encourage the men there. He had been doing this for several years, and he had been doing it alone. One day he approached me about having some of the young guys bring their guitars and uh, maybe singing with the guys. And uh, I said, well, I told him, I said, yeah, I think, I think they'd be willing to do that. But in the meantime, you know, I've got a guitar, and I know about three chords, and, you know, I know, have a, uh, know a couple of little worship songs. Maybe I can, you know, help out. So I decided to go, you know, the next time. Well, I went, and I sang, and I 
probably didn't do a great job or anything. But let me tell you, I was hooked. Um, and the bait that God used to hook me was there was a young man who approached me that first night. And he said, he said Ron, do you remember me? And I looked at him. I said, well, I just couldn't quite figure it out. But he then identified himself as one of the youth at a former church that we were at where he sang in my youth choir and ensemble. You see, he and his wife had gotten, had gotten into social drinking, and they thought it was okay, as so many people do think it's okay. But they got, they got involved in that, but it got, they got to be more and more and more. Then he became an alcoholic, started destroying his life, as alcoholism usually does. He had struggled with it for several years, and, and actually he got rehabilitated and even started working in a church ministry for, uh, for addiction. But then he fell off the wagon again, and then he's starting all over again. Well, I was hoping to see him the next time, uh, but he, he wasn't there the next time, and so I haven't seen him since. But I called Denise on the way home that night, and I told her that I really felt God was calling me to help Quentin with this. So God used that incident to draw me into this special ministry. Well, not long after that, Steve Hall and his son, Houston, joined in. Actually, Quentin had asked Houston if he would, uh, if he would like to come and help him on Monday nights, and, and, and Houston jumped at the chance. So Steve and Houston started coming, uh, but because of increasing schoolwork and things like that being a Monday night, it was kind of hard on the student and and, find, and Houston just felt like that he was not going to be able to participate. He was going to try, but it just it wasn't going to work out for him. But Steve continued on. So it was that the, it was just the three of us for a while. And, and what I would do is I would open up with leading in uh, about three or four songs. Uh, and Quentin would share the word with them. Steve would, uh, would always help setting up the equipment and tear, tearing down the equipment and doing whatever, being there with the guys. If anybody needed to be talked to and prayed with, you know, he'd join in and do that kind of thing. Which, and so, you know, he was there, and he's just been very consistent with this very, ever since the very beginning. Well, Quentin's health started uh, getting worse, and he would have to bow out every once in a while to receive treatments and be in the hospital or something. Well, meanwhile, George and Thad would, would come and teach a little bit every once in a while. They enjoyed doing that, and I would even teach every once in a while. A couple of times, David Hinkle came and, and shared with the guys and really encouraged them. Um, and there have been a few times when I have not been able to make it, and Brian Nichols was, you know, came, took his guitar, and, and, and sang for him. And so uh, they, they really enjoyed that. Well, when Quentin felt that his health had deteriorated to the point to where he, he would not be able to continue, along with his and Beverly's plans to move back to Arkansas where his kids were, we weren't sure exactly how we were going to be able to continue. But one thing we knew is that we were going to continue. Enter John Burnett. John, who was willing and excited about the opportunity to teach, he joined in. However, John was having some health problems at the time as well. And so there was, so he was not able to be there as consistently as he wanted to be due to having to have treatments and things like that for his, his situation. But meanwhile, God had placed Jordan's self in a position where he needed a ministry opportunity at the same time. So he joined in, and let me tell you something. He was a natural. He's a natural at this, and he, he continues to do a great job of teaching and encouraging these men. 
Well, after John had, create, uh, had completed the treatments that improved his condition, <laughs> he was itching to get back. So he and Jordan uh, worked it out to where they started sharing in the teaching responsibilities. Well, meanwhile, Buddy Seal joined in and has become such an encouragement, such an encouragement to these men. He talks with them before and after. He shares scripture with them. He prays with them. Uh, he, uh, he's given an opportunity, uh, you know, there during the thing, and he just takes off and he shares scripture and, and, and prays for the guys and just really encourages them. So we went from one man being called in the ministry to, to those in need to now we have a ministry team consisting of Steve Hall, John Burnett, Buddy Seal, Jordan Self, and me. I guess we share this all of this history of this ministry for one reason, to encourage you. How do ministries like this start? Well, it usually starts with one or more individuals who see a need for ministry to others in some way, and, and they're willing to serve. Nine times out of ten, they usually feel totally inadequate for the task. But God takes that desire, and he uses it in sometimes very dramatic ways. Um, in the case of the Salvation Army ministry, uh, we will only know when we get to heaven the impact that is being made by this team. All we know is and can be assured of is what God says in his word. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. But John Burnett's going to come, and he's going to share a little bit about his uh, involvement in it and what it means to him. John. Didn't know I was going to have to hold this thing, too. But uh, anyways, I want to start off by uh, reading three verses of scripture and as I read these I want you to reflect back on your life before Christ came into your life and what that was like for you I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins and when you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. I was thinking this week about, Corey had preached last week, told us to think about when we got saved. Well, I went beyond that. I thought about, you know, what it was like to live without Christ. And I'd forgotten been 40 years since I was saved but I remembered you know no purpose in life getting up every morning and going through the routines of life and wondering is this all there is no direction making bad decisions in my life because I had no compass or no direction I had no hope that things were going to get better that that hole in my heart was going to ever be filled and I think the worst was trying to find happiness in the world and always being disappointed. That's the life that most of the men at Salvation Army live every day. And that's why 
we try to get them to understand that addiction is not the real issue. Addiction is a symptom of a bigger problem that they have, and that problem is most of them are lost without Christ. They're walking in darkness every day. What's the remedy for that? The gospel. The gospel's the remedy. And so we give them the gospel every time we're there. They get it in the messages. They get it when we counsel with them at the end of, of the service. And we give it to them from different perspectives. Um, last week, we were in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. We wanted them to understand who Jesus really is. He's more than a baby in a manger. He's the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Creator. You know, a lot of those men had never heard that. And when you hear the gospel from that perspective and you understand what Jesus left to come here for you, it kind of puts it in a new light. So we share that way. Um, also, these men carry a lot of guilt, as Ron mentioned. A lot of shame for the way they've treated their friends and families over the years, how they've used them. So we go to Matthew, and we talk about Matthew, the tax collector slash thief, and how Christ brought Matthew into his, his 12. We talk about the woman at the well and all the other outcasts in the Bible that Jesus seemed to gravitate to. And we want them to understand that there's forgiveness for them, no matter what they've done. Jesus told the Pharisees, I didn't come to save the righteous. I came to save sinners. And so we want them to understand that. These men lose hope because they make self-destructive decisions in their life, one after the other. I want to tell you a story about a man that I met. I started in this ministry in 2019, and one of the first people I met was a guy named Tom. Tom had been a stockbroker for 20 years. He had a traumatic event come into his life that he couldn't handle, and he turned to alcohol. He lost his family. He lost his career. He lost his home. He ended up on the streets of Birmingham homeless. One day, he was sitting on a curb, and someone approached him and offered him $200 to cash a check for them. Well, Tom was no dummy. He knew what he was doing. He knew the check was probably bad, but he cashed it anyways because... He wanted to buy $200 worth of booze. Well, sure enough, it was a bad check. They identified him from surveillance videos at the bank. Tom came to the Salvation Army, not to break his addiction, but to hide from the police. And he stayed a few months. He wasn't serious, and he left before the program was over. And I hadn't heard back from him until Monday night. And as I was speaking, I saw Tom sitting out in the audience. So I went to him after the service, and I said, Tom, where have you been? How's things going? He said, well, they arrested me when I got out, but they dropped the charges because I didn't have any money to pay restitution, and they didn't want to put me in the system. He said, then I got straight for a while. I found a place to live through some Christian organization that provided him a place. He didn't tell me where, but... I assume it's some type of a shelter. And he found a job. And he stayed clean for almost a year. And then <laughs> the people at the shelter found out he had a job. And they told him, you can't live here if you have a job. So you've got to make a decision. Either quit your job or leave. 
And, um, you know, these men can't handle pressure like that. You know, we would make a rational decision and move on with our life, but Tom went out and bought a bunch of liquor, and he drank himself to the point of alcohol poisoning. And they had to rush him to the hospital. The only reason he was back at the Salvation Army was because the doctors would not release him because they felt he was a danger to himself. They agreed to release him once he signed up to come for drug rehab. My point telling you this story is that we hear those types of things over and over again from the men. And every time they make a bad decision, it just confirms to them that there's no hope for them, that they're never going to get out of their addiction. Their circumstances are never going to change. But we know different, don't we? There's hope in Jesus, and that's what we tell them over and over and over again. There's hope in Jesus. Fix the big problem first. Come to Christ. If you want to pray for this ministry, we'd ask you to to pray that the men will stay in the program. It's a six-month commitment. They have to live at the Salvation Army for six months, and they work there, so they don't see their families. They're not holding down a job, so there's a lot of pressure for them to leave. But if, if they leave, there's no chance. They're going to go back to their addiction. So pray that they'll stay in the, in the program. And pray that God will open their eyes. Um, you know, we, we've not had anyone come to us for salvation. We have a lot of people come up asking questions. We have a lot of people coming up wanting us to pray with them. But just pray that God will open their eyes and we'll see some people get saved through this. Well, I'm up here again, and this time it's to talk about the small group ministry. I've been connected with small groups now for, oh man, 30, maybe 40 years. And I've seen a lot of positive results from it. You know, um, we originally called small groups discipleship groups. That is, our intention was that people who participated would become more Christ-like. And that's still true. But small groups nowadays could also be called support groups. We support one another. Our groups are small. They're usually not more than 12 people. And the purpose is to get to know each other so that we can share our Christian needs. We pray together, we study together, and we enjoy fellowship together. Those are the components of all of our small group meetings. Well, um, I saw a report uh, about two weeks ago saying that in hard times, the small group ministry is one of the most important ministries of the church. And that's because people are dealing with problems, some that they've never had to deal with before. Now, I don't know what the future is going to be like here in the United States, but right now it seems like the Christian church is going to be facing more problems than it has in the recent past. And so for that reason, I would really encourage you to become involved in the next small group that we organize. We're going to start on January 9th. That's a Sunday night. 
our small groups run from 6.30 until 8, sometimes 8.30, depending on child care. And uh, this particular session is going to run about 10 to 12 weeks. Now, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about the topics that we're going to have uh, for the winter session. You know, this past uh, time, we all did the same study. But this time, we're going to offer three different topics. Now, if you're in a small group right now, and you want to stay in that group, and you don't care about the topic, then you don't have to sign up for it. But if you want to change, uh, if you want to be in a particular topic, then you'll need to sign up in a couple of weeks when we provide sign-up sheets for the small group term. Now, um, the first of the... I think I went the wrong way. The first topic is we're calling it Committed with Christ, and it's a study of the Christian family. Uh, it's a sanctification study, basically. Ethics, spiritual gifts, finances... We're going to find out what people need to study, and then we're going to cater that small group to them. We're going to talk to you about what true worship is and how to evangelize. We'll talk to you about mentoring. Whatever your need is, we'll try and meet it in that group. So that's one of the topics that we're going to be doing. We always try to do one book of the Bible at least, a study of a book of the Bible. And this time we've chosen the book of Judges. In a way, the book of Judges can be summarized as human frailty versus God's long-suffering. And so in a sense, um, it's appropriate for this time. If you'd like to be involved in that study, then you'll need to sign up for it as well. And then last, we're going to look at a book titled, Where Do We Go From Here? This is a look at ten prophecies in the scripture, what they mean, and if they apply to our modern times. How should we respond to them as Christians? So that's the third offering that we're going to have for this winter term. If you um, need to ask any questions about it, uh, I'll be out in the lobby after church, and uh, I'll try and, and tell you what, you're, uh, what you need to know. Thank you. Morning. I think all of y'all should have been given a copy of the financial summary this morning. Uh, somehow I've got a sign to talk about this this morning, which they give this to the person who doesn't talk to talk about numbers, which is really strange because they've got to make it interesting. I don't know how you do that, but I'm going to try. Uh, like I said, the person that doesn't, that doesn't like to talk would like to say, if you look at the top, top number, we started in the black. If you look at the bottom number, we ended in the black. What more do you need to know? <laughs> That's pretty easy, right? That's a pretty good financial summary. But I'll really look at it. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a financial advisor. But this fascinates me, really. 
because it's an example of God's blessings on us through your generosity. I don't know how else to describe it. That's the way it's happened. We did start with a balance of $47,000. We had receipts of $981,000, which gave us an operating income of $1,000,028,000. As far as I know, I think this is the first time we've exceeded $1,000,000 in our budget. If you look down at the expenses, we had a million ten thousand dollars, and like I said, we did end up with about positive balance. Uh, you can I'm not going to go over all the numbers. y'all can read those. y'all are smart people. I would like to focus on a couple of things. Number one, the building fund. We had receipts of two hundred and seventy two thousand dollars, and in disbursements, we paid out three hundred and sixteen. That's because we were able to assign some of the money from the general fund to the building fund. About four or five years ago when all this began, when we combined the two churches, those of y'all who have just been here for a while, this room was just a big open room. It was nothing. That was our first project that we started on, and then we added the children's building back behind here. Through it all, we spent about $3.6 million, I think, somewhere, give or take. That's how much money it took for the whole project. We got to the end of it about four or five years ago. We needed to take out a loan, and that loan only was about 900000 of that $3.6 million. Unbelievable start, the way it's ended up. As of right now, of that $900,000 in the five years that we've been paying on it, we have a balance of $234,000. That is all we have left on this building. If you take our minimum payments, which are right now are $7,000 a month, we'll pay it off in 34 months. Unbelievable. But if you also look at it in another way, like I said, last year alone we gave $272,000. If we give that same amount this year, We'll pay that amount off in the next year. Unbelievable. As an architect, I work with a lot of churches, and they would kill to have that kind of balance on your building fund. The other thing I want to talk about is missions. You can see we had receipts of $155,000 on that, and we had disbursements of 167. I am on the mission committee. And we survive based on what y'all give on that. Most of y'all are familiar with these little envelopes. They're out in the lobby. Thad talked about where we take up our offering. That's where they are. There are three categories on this thing. The general fund, the mission fund, and special. I think special is for get Thad's golf clubs, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> Actually, no, it also includes that building fund, that house gets designated. But realistically, here's what happened when you give a check. If you don't put it in the envelope, all of that money goes to the general fund. If you take it and put it in the envelope, mark it to the general fund, all of that money goes to the general fund. The only way we get building fund donations, the only way we get mission fund donations, is you've to the designated in those two categories. And that's what we survive on every month in the missions. And I'm going to transfer over to give you a little 
history of our missions. Right now, we're supporting, I think, around 35 missionaries. The monthly outlay is right at $11,500. We probably average giving each one of those 35 missionaries around $300. We cannot do it without you. The last two months, we have been low. And there are months like this where my faith really gets tested. I say, gosh, we got to have a panic emergency appeal. God has come through every time. So I challenge you, you know, it's up to you to what we do with the money you give. And if you have any questions about this report, I'll be happy to answer those if anybody has any now, or you can stop me in the lobby also. I appreciate the new golf clubs. <laughs> I was thinking, Barry, when you said that, how am I going to get out of that one? <laughs> Your money doesn't go to provide golf clubs for me. Um, so I have a book here that's filled with notes that obviously I'm not going to be able to do today. But as I was thinking about what's transpired this morning... Um, all I could think about was the faithfulness of the Lord. Um, you know, from Dean and Linda's video, at one time, Dean had hair. <laughs> but the thing that impressed me the most about their video was their family. Um, to have Linda by your side all those years, Dean, and to be involved in the ministry with you, what a blessing. I know that blessing. You know, I've had my wife by me for 36 years and the ministry over 30. There are no words that I have personally uh, about my wife. I mean, she's amazing. Um, and I know you feel the same about Linda. So thank you guys for your service. Thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord. And thank you, Lord, that as a congregation, we've been able to witness that. Um, and then I'm listening to, to Ron give the history of our involvement in the Salvation Army. And then I listened to John do a 10-minute sermonette, because that's what it was. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. I was like, Lord... Um, you're just going to set my notes aside today, and that'll be all right. That happened to me one time at a funeral when Nell Miner wanted to say just a few words about her husband. 30 minutes later, I said, well, Lord, there's no reason for me to repeat everything that's just been said. I said a couple of things, and we prayed. Um, thank you, Lord, for the ministry you've given to our men at the Salvation Army. And I would just ask you guys, as members of the body of Christ, if you know Christ, you know, what's your ministry? And some would say, well, my ministry is my family, and that's right. That's right. That's your, that's your first ministry. But it's also important for us that are in Christ to be involved in ministry beyond our family and with our family. 
And so I would encourage you to pray about where you are in ministry. You know, just like, I don't I think it was Ron said, hey, if you can take a country boy, right, from Clay, Alabama, who I'm not sure what language Dean speaks. Um, if you can take him, then you can use anybody. I mean, he's using me. I know a little bit more English than Dean, not much. But you think about people who struggle through their lifetime. I've talked with them. They've been in my office. They've said things like that. I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. And they've been saved 30 and 40 years. You know what he wants you to do? Glorify him every single day. Minister where you are. Minister in your workplace. You have people in your workplace that need Christ, that need the gospel. Minister your school, young people. It's, a, it's just a field for ministry. I know I have the privilege of being involved in a ministry with the trustful high school baseball team. And 23 out of the 25 boys, they need Christ. So God puts us in places on purpose, for a purpose. Every single person in this room who is in Christ has a purpose beyond just coming on a Sunday and sitting in these seats. Every single day that you walk, which that's going to be the theme for 2022, every single day you walk, your number one purpose is to commune with the Lord. Did you know that? That's your number one purpose. You're going to commune with the Lord every day, every day. We're going to get into that one of these days. But it just hit me of all the things that were said today. I thought, Lord, you know, if I have that box right, if I'm walking with you and I'm fellowshipping with you, then I'm seeing my world in a different way. That's just the reality of it. I'm not seeing it for what I can get out of it. I'm looking at the people around me at work in those cubicles and I'm going, they need you, Lord. There's no hope without you. I'm looking at my, my friends at school and, and thinking, hey, they're not just my friends, but eternity is at stake. So I believe all this begins with that. It begins with our fellowship with the Lord, with our communion with the Lord. I wanted to um, just read a passage of Scripture. I'm going to have you turn to uh, Colossians chapter 4. This was not my original plan. The Lord changed it. And I'm just going to read some verses that speak about people on the back row, so to speak. People who maybe have their arms folded this morning thinking, well, that's great that the Lord's used Dean and Linda and Ron and John and all these others, but I don't think he can use me. He can. And he wants to. You know what he's looking for? A surrendered heart that says, yes, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do. And he can't offer up the excuse, well, but I was recently at a pastor's conference in Louisiana. There's 10 to 12 pastors in the room, and they're all, all sharing about their ministries and got an opportunity to talk with them individually, some of them. And they're just regular guys. <laughs> they're just regular guys. And yet they've done something different at some point where they said, okay, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do. 
And so I think the mentality probably from the seats at times is, well, there's a few pastors and there's a few missionaries. Well, there are several shepherds in the church. And every one of us is a missionary. So we've made a lot in the church about professionalism. But the reality is that every single one of us as believers in Christ have the privilege to serve him. And think one day we're going to stand before the Lord. And what what are we going to do? We're going to give an account for the things that are done for him. So I looked at this passage as I was sitting there. The Lord brought it to my mind that, you know, you look at the life of Paul and everything's around Paul. Paul, 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 Paul. Paul had a lot of people around him. A lot of people doing ministry. Listen to what it says. Colossians chapter 4, verse 11. Look at these different people. Not only can we not spell their names, we can't pronounce their names. And yet, the Lord's using these people. He used them. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Also, Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. We remember what happened with John Mark, don't we? Walked away and the Lord's using him. It says, and also Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. So you have Paul, and you have these folks. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Well, if you're going to have your name written in the book, that's a pretty good way to have it written. Always laboring for you in what in prayer. You know, I, I go around and visit people who can't get out, who are part of grace. I was with three individuals this last week. They'd love to be here every week. Can't be. Physically, they're just unable to do it. But can I tell you something? They all tell me. Every single one of these that are shut in, they always tell tell me how grateful they are for you. (laughs) And that they're praying for you. Some of them you probably don't even know, but they know you. You know, one of the requests I get from them most often, they say, can you give me an updated directory? I want to pray for these families. (laughs) So you look at a guy like Epaphras is like, well, he's just praying. No, he's praying. Not just praying, he's praying. That's the ministry the Lord gave to him. That you, he says, may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. And he says, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. What a guy. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha in the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and you. For your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And then say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may what? Fulfill it.
That's a really great statement. We need to take, as individuals, heed to the ministry that God has given us. And if you're a believer, every single one of you are in the ministry. God's given you a ministry to your families and to the church and to a myriad of people who are out there who are lost. Just like the Salvation Army guys who are there. I've been there. and I, I, What they're saying is right. A lot of those guys are in there, no hope. They believe life's over. But these guys have been faithful to go every week and give them the message of hope. So my encouragement to you is simply this. Take heed to the ministry which you received in the Lord. Fulfill what God's given you to do. And let's be thankful. You know, I was thinking about the guys that came up to share today. and You know, they're either elders or deacons. And I'm like, Lord, thank you so much for these guys. But it's not just the pastors and the elders and the deacons. But it's all of us laboring together for the Lord. Every single believer in here has a purpose. I trust you know what that is and that you'll fulfill it for the glory of the Lord. You know, around the world, there are people who are not sitting in air conditioning buildings like this. They don't, I can't imagine what some of them would even, how they would even respond walking into a place like this. How blessed we are to be able to serve the Lord and not be persecuted to the level of some of the people around the world. And when you compare it, we're not being persecuted at all. Um, We want to remember today those around the world who are suffering for the sake of the gospel. And we've got a video that we want to show. I wanted to make just one quick comment. Did everybody receive one of these little pamphlets? If you fold the perforated sections, you have a bookmark. I mean, because like when you're opening it up and you're reading, where's the bookmark? Well, you just take it apart and there's the bookmark. I will confess it took me a couple of minutes to figure it out. But here it is, all right? And so this is an opportunity for you to have that, put it in your Bible in a book. Um, And on the back, it tells you 10 different ways that you can pray for the persecuted church around the world. And we want to be faithful to do that as a church body. And so I want us to see this video, and then um, I've got a couple more things. In 1940, Nazi forces invaded Richard and Sabina Wormbrand's home country, Romania. There were no safe spaces for Jews. And though Christian, Richard and Sabina were ethnic Jews. afraid for I am with you Genesis 26 do not be afraid of them Joshua 8 I am I'm kind of afraid (laughs) 
They are asking to see IDs. All our lives remain in our Jews only. Christian, really? Show me about the Jewish party again, right? Dă-te la o parte, știu că ascunze vrei aici. Puteți să vă uitați, dar nu e niciun evreu aici. Perhaps you should get out if you still can. Run away? If we stay, I'll follow the others into prison. It will be the end of our life together. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We believe this or we don't. Richard and Sabina, like many Christians during World War II, had a choice. Lay low and hope the worst passed them by. Or get involved and be the hands and feet of Christ. All at great personal risk. I think we have to stay. We have a job to do. If they are coming, then they are coming. Let's not think of them as enemies to be feared, but rather as a mission. Like Sabina and Richard Wormbrand, today's persecuted Christians, living in hostile areas and restricted nations are bold witnesses for Christ. Choosing to give up their comfort and safety in this world in order to find a life that counts for eternity. The first request from our persecuted Christian brothers and sisters is, will you pray for me? As we pray for them to endure opposition in order to advance the gospel, may we be inspired by their example to pay any price necessary in obedience to Christ. movies out the next couple of nights and I made some phone calls they're sold out in trustful next two nights I don't know about the other ones but you may want to look that up and um, so I encourage you to do that you see the the places that's showing um, if you haven't purchased tickets I'm not sure you'll be able to but um, 
I'm thankful that the movie theaters are hosting something like that. Um, thankful to the Lord, because whether they know it or not, the gospel's getting out there, and so uh, we're thankful for that. But you make sure uh, you pray for the persecuted church. Every month, once a month, there's a group of ladies that meet up here. I think it's the last Monday of the month. Is that correct, ladies? At 10 o'clock? Is that correct, too? Hey, I'm two for two. So on the last Monday of the month, 10 o'clock in the morning, if you're interested in praying for the persecuted church, they'd love to have you up here to, to be a part of that. Well, I hope that uh, today for you, um, you know, church conference, if you're visiting with us today, it's a little different here at Grace. And it's a lot about testimony of what the Lord's doing in the life and in, uh, lives of individuals within the church who God's given ministry to. And all of us, like I said, as believers, have ministry responsibilities. I so appreciate the men that I have the opportunity to serve with, the elders and the deacons. Each of you, if you're members of the church um, and have joined the church, then you have uh, the privilege to be able to vote for um, the elder and de- elders and deacons who have been presented to you. They're on this sheet of paper here. Uh, some of you have already turned in your ballots. But if you have not had an opportunity to do that, please do that. And then you can just put your ballots in the offering plates as you leave. For Elder Steve Bartlett, Van Cook, and Brian Nichols are there for your consideration for Elder and for Deacon Ed DeArmond and Andy Johnson. And as we, I put in the letter, and I want to state this, there at times we, I mean, there are men who are, who are asked who can't at times serve. And so... Um, I'm just thankful for how the Lord puts all that together and to have the privilege to serve alongside these men uh, truly is a blessing. So you continue to pray for the leadership of the church, that we would be led by the Spirit of God in all the decisions um, that we make. Um, Thursday night we had elders meeting, and George Moran said it best, next Sunday... Um, is a treat for us. Dr. Thomas being here is a treat. I mean, this is something huge. Um, We've been promoting it. Um, Obviously, he's with the Ministry Institute for Creation Research. He'll be here. There's going to be three sessions. All the sessions are different. So, like if you think, well, I'm going to come to 9 o'clock. Well, come to 9 o'clock, 1030 and then eat some lunch, and then afterwards at 2.30, he's doing a session on dinosaurs. So it's going to be a fantastic time. I trust that um, you guys, I was thinking this week, just invite one person, just one person. And uh, we would just love to have this place packed with people who can hear about um, creation and our Creator. So you make sure that... um, you plan on that for next Sunday. There are different options for lunch. We'll have one here. There'll be a food truck here. Southland Barbecue will be here. But if you want to go down the street and get your own lunch, that's fine by us. Uh, they got pretty good prices on that barbecue. So um, instead of the golf clubs, I really want the barbecue. So, <clears throat> All right. I have two videos uh, that we'll close with. I'm going to have prayer, and then we'll show two videos uh, these are two short clips, like 45-second clips. There's two of them uh, from Dr. Thomas speaking at different venues. So let's have a word of prayer, and then you, we'll watch the videos. After the videos are, after the second one is, is complete, 
you're dismissed, okay? So let's pray. Lord, we do thank you this morning. Truly great is your faithfulness uh, to be able just to hear how you're working in the lives of, of people uh, here and around the world. Um, what a blessing that is. What a blessing it is to be in partnership with you if we belong to you. Uh, it's a blessing to be in partnership, to partner with you for the furtherance of the gospel. I pray we'd be faithful as we have opportunities each day to engage people, faithful to give them the message of hope, the only hope, which is Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Lord, for what you've been doing in our church body. Thank you for your provision. Thank you so much, Lord. We look forward to, to being able to pay this building off and release more of that money for ministry and, Lord, that in missions that, that you may be um, glorified in all that we do. And so we just uh, thank you for who you are. Help us, Lord, to be um, fully aware of the opportunity we have with you every day to commune with you, to draw near to you. I pray that would be our priority. And all these things I pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. I think the ultimate example of mimicry is got to be the octopus, especially the mimic octopus, which was only discovered in the last few decades because this is the only creature that mimics not just one other creature, but it mimics at least 15 other different creatures. And it can morph its body because of its incredible design to make itself look just like these other creatures, a lionfish, uh, a sea snake, a flatfish, and a dozen others. On this mimic octopus, the resolution of coloration on its skin is just about the same as what we see on our television sets as far as dots per square inch. And so it can make itself exactly colorized to the creature that it's mimicking. It turns out you can only reach a certain weight with the modern reptile lizard-like design where the legs go out and then down before it's too heavy to drag and to lift. So you need to have the pillars, so to speak, directly supporting the body weight. It shows design because it's all integrated. So when I see different parts, each one precisely shaped specifically to fit with its neighbor, in these joints, like uh, parts of any machine, a camera, a computer. They're specifically fitted to one another, and they are obviously intended to work with one another, not against one another. All the bones of each dinosaur kind are just really well-fashioned and fitted together. That's, to me, a, a hallmark of design.